Well, that that ping you hear as you drive up and down 42 is the sound of college baseball. You, you got EMU, JMU, Bridgewater, all these baseball programs, D1, JMU, D3, EMU, and BC, they're back in action. And we're going to talk about it here today on the Baseball in the Valley podcast. Welcome in. This is Greg Medea and David Driver with you for a Thursday, March 4th edition of the Baseball in the Valley podcast. And David, hard to believe, but but college baseball is back. It's it's an exciting feeling for, for a lot of players and coaches around the area. Yeah, it was it was fun to watch JMU in North Carolina a couple weekends ago from Chapel Hill. Um, they were calling for snow, I think, for the first game. It didn't happen. I think it was 40 degrees at game time. But yeah, it was really good to see some baseball on television. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. The Dukes, it was interesting in, in a conversation with Marlon Eikenberry that week. He goes, North Carolina series got scrapped with Kentucky. That was supposed to be a big ACC-SEC showdown. Unfortunately for Kentucky, they had coronavirus protocols within their uh, within their program and couldn't play. The North Carolina baseball coach, friends with Eikenberry, texted him, said, do you guys want to play? And Eikenberry was like, yeah, we'll, pl- we'll play as long as he get get it approved by the JMU administration, he was like, we'll definitely play. So the Dukes got that approval from the administration, Jeff Bourne and company, and rolled on down to Chapel Hill. And unfortunately for them, it it didn't go that well in terms of the win-loss record, 0-3 to start the year, swept by UNC. But some tight games on Saturday and Sunday, games that could have went either way. Friday, their pitcher was really good. Uh, But the Dukes are out of the gate. They start. They'll play their first home series this weekend, have Bowling Green Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Harrisonburg. Bridgewater College, you'll hear from Ben Spots in a few minutes, the Bridgewater College baseball coach, former coach at EMU. They'll play Wednesday. They'll open their season Wednesday with a non-conference game against Christopher Newport. And then you've got Eastern Mennonite. They'll be the last to open on Saturday with a doubleheader. That's next Saturday with a doubleheader at Virginia Wesleyan in ODAC play. So base, college baseball rocking and rolling. And David, it's, it's encouraging to see for sure. What are some of the things that, that excite you about this college baseball season, especially locally? Yeah, well, um, you know, JMU is, is in the CAA, which is, which is, you know, a very good conference with, with Charleston and Wilmington and some others. Um, you know, we'll hear from Ben Spots later. The ODAC is really a really strong Division Three conference. I don't know if, if people realize how good it is. Um, Shenandoah, the, the head coach at Shenandoah, used to be the head coach at JMU. Um, the pitching coach at Shenandoah pitched in the major leagues and for JMU. So it just kind of shows about the quality of, of the league. Uh, Randolph-Macon is always a regional power um, in the ODAC. So, I mean, Bridgewater and EMU, they, they have their hands full. It, it's not an easy conference. And um, there's not a lot of non-conference games this year. So every game will count more. Um, and, that, and that's the case at the Division One level. There just won't be as many weekday non-conference games. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I think the one really cool and encouraging news that, that the state got recently is that attendance for outdoor sporting venues, and, and that's what college, college athletic venues are considered, an outdoor and entertainment sports venue, 
is expanding attendance. So there'll be some fans in the stands at these games at, at JMU, Bridgewater and EMU. And I know from covering some of those games over the last couple of years, you see some of the familiar faces, the baseball junkies that, that maybe you see out at a County league game or Harrisonburg Turks game. So I think that's really exciting too, that you think if they're going to be some very limited attendance now, maybe by these, by the time these teams get in full swing, April, May, you'll, you'll see a few more fans in the stands, but I, I'm sure that's exciting for players and coaches too. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, um, you know, even, you know, spring training games in Florida, just having a few hundred people, that's a, that's a big change from, from last year. So yeah, having, you know, having been to some uh, county league games at Harrisonburg last summer, um, you know, it's, it's easy to spread out. There's, there's plenty of not only seats, but you can watch while you're standing up and, there's good sight lines there at JMU off of 42. So, yeah, it would be nice to see people at the games. No question about it. So I want to dive right in today to our conversation with Ben Spots. Well, let's get to Ben now. He's the second-year coach at Bridgewater College. Uh, he was at Eastern Mennonite previously. We was at Before that, he was at Bridgewater under Kurt Kendall, the, then the head coach of the baseball program. He's now the AD at BC. And he played at Fort Defiance High School. So, Ben, great feel for the local game. We figured it would be great to have him on because of that. And also, because BC is getting ready to start their season, I know he's eager about that. So, David and I, we caught up with Ben a little earlier today. And we'll play that conversation for you now. So, here's the conversation we had with Ben Spots, the baseball coach at Bridgewater College. Well, the Baseball in the Valley podcast is happy to welcome Bridgewater College coach Ben Spots to the program. Ben, thanks so much for joining David and me. I'll, I'll start here. How are you? How is your program doing? I'm sure you guys have to be itching uh, to get out there next week when you open against, against CNU. Well, certainly, Greg and David, great to join you guys, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk baseball and talk about our program. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a situation where it's almost been, a, I think, almost a full calendar year. We were shut down, so we're coming upon that date here. So it's been a, a long road, I guess, of planning and unknowingness to get to this point. Um, but we are excited, and uh, while there's some teams you see in starting to play baseball, whether it's a Division One level, some Division three, some Division three schools are starting – you know, we're on track to open up next week um, with Christopher Newport, and then we'll start this uh, start this push of, of games, um, really jumping into our conference schedule. So, you know, we're excited. Uh, the weather has been, I don't know, I guess challenging, but it hasn't held us back from moving forward and what we needed to do. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're opening up next Wednesday, and uh, actually we're going to inter-squad the next three days. The weather looks good for that, so we're going to get three eight-inning inter-squads in the next three days. So I feel like we're, we're moving to where we need to be. Um, you know, certainly I look at a lot of my past practice plans and things we've done, and I realize when I look at the date that what we're covering now, we covered in January a year ago or in my past years, that's just kind of where we're at. Um, but I do think that our guys have been, you know, have they persevered, they've had good attitudes about it. And, um, you know, I'm excited for them to get on the field and compete and see where we're at. Yeah, I, the weather's giving you a little bit of reprieve this week after <laughs> after uh, a few weeks there of snow and ice and rain and having to worry about that. I'm 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 sure you're thrilled to be back out on the field. I, I know it's your second season mm -hmm. at Bridgewater, the first one at anything but normal. Like I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, what did you What did you learn your first year there? I know you'd been there in the past, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, but as the head coach, first time as the head coach, what did you learn in your first season there as the head coach? Well, I mean, you know, I haven't been here for 14 years as an assistant and then left for seven. You know, I, I came back here and, and um, you know, 
I, I certainly knew what Bridgewater was about athletically as a whole, you know, the tradition in our athletic programs, what the campus had to offer. Um, so it was a great, great opportunity for me to come back and one that I really cherished that first year. And I think what I learned was we had players that were one were talented um, and two really, um, you know, they, they, they knew what Bridgewater College baseball was about and what the tradition had been and, and wanted to continue on with that. And, and I think that part was exciting for me to come back to a group of guys that, you know, knew that expectation, um, were willing to put the work in. And I think that was, you know, it was good to see. And, um, you know, so, you know, like last year, like anybody, I had, I had, I had eight seniors that really bought into my vision the first year and, um, uh, you know, worked hard year round what we what we could get to and got off to a good start. It's unfortunate for those guys, particularly that we couldn't see where that road would have taken us. But we got off to a good start, which I think, you know, put us in a position this year as we came back with different plans and different opportunities based on COVID that allowed us to uh, when we could get back to work in the fall and through what we've done now, you know, have a good buy into what we're doing, because I think they saw last year that, you know, what we're trying to do can work. Um, and, um, and, and, and I think that because of that groundwork late last year, we've had a good preseason this year and a good year to this point. So I'm excited to see where, where it puts us at right now. I know David wanted to ask you a little bit about your players in the summer months, uh, mm -hmm. different David, you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. Um, Ben, you know, we talked a couple days ago on the phone, division three guys have been in the County in the Rockingham County league for a long time. But you obviously last year was an unusual summer, right? But a lot of your guys got some experience in the county league. Maybe mention some of the them. Well, I, I, you know, you guys know this and understand this how great of a baseball area this is, and 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 I think a lot of schools out there, um, particularly Division three level, I mean, they look for opportunities for their kids to play in the summer, and I've never taken it for granted. We've got one right in our backyard that's quality baseball, and um, you know, I think that there's a lot of good summer leagues, but it's one too that. For our guys, we know we always have this as a place to put players that I think is really good for them. And certainly we have guys that want to play in the Via League and we try to get placed in different leagues around the country. But I also know that this league is uh, one that a lot of guys that we recruit have already played in, but also are situations where we can get kids to stay here in the summer and play. It's quality baseball. And, and last summer, it was important as ever because, you know, your season gets shut down. Nobody knows what's going on, when you're going to start, when you're going to come back, what that means. County League going to have a season. And my hat's off to the County League for making it possible to do it. And they had to, have, you know, have some perseverance to hang in there, start later. Um, but the guys for us that played in that league, I thought, did a really good job and, and, and got the work they needed that to, to, to show progress towards coming back for us this year. So we had numerous guys. Um, you know, we had several guys on the Bridgewater Reds. So, Jonathan Sexton's a catcher for us in our program out of William Monroe. Waring Garber from Turner Ashby High School is a, is, a, is a pitcher and a first baseman. Hunter Moore is a pitcher for us who's out of Appomattox, but drove up you know once a week to get his work in and get his start all summer. Um, Nick Griffin's a local product from Turner Ashby High School that we recruited to come in here that pitched this summer for him. Um, you know, we had Elijah Dunlap with the Grottos Cardinals, Isaiah Blanks, who's from Lynchburg, but but made the commitment to drive from Lynchburg to, to Grottos um, several times a week to play. Um, you know, we had Keegan Oliver at Montezuma. So we had Kevin Nevada played at Clover Hill. So we had guys sprinkled all around the league. And, um, you know, it, it was an opportunity for those guys to go play. I get a chance to go watch some baseball, take my kids out to see some baseball in the summertime. And I'm glad it happened and, and, and went through because that was important and needed for our guys. Um, you know, we had other guys that, once again, most of our guys had a chance to play. It was just – it was delayed. They had some guys that played back in leagues back home, hit or miss – 
But I do know the ones that played here had quality baseball. And certainly, as you guys know, I mean, the county league this past year was phenomenal as far as the talent. And a lot of players that typically wouldn't be in this league found it as a place to play. So, you know, I don't know if it'll hold that same look again this year, but I do know that it was really good when it, when it needed to be. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm appreciative of that and our guys are as well. Yeah, Ben, I was going to ask you about that. The, the players who got to play in the county league this past summer, seeing some of the D1 kids like, like DeLauder at JMU, Hackenberg from Clemson played in the league, seeing those types of talent, when you get them back in the, in the fall, did you see that maybe they benefited from, from a little bit of, of upper echelon talent in that competition? Oh, well, and there's no doubt whether it's pitchers facing those kind of guys and they got to get them out. And whether they always do or not, it's the opportunity and the challenge too. And it's the same thing for our hitters. I think, you know, facing really good arms. Um, and I think it made those guys better. And, and, and certainly, you know, there's a learning curve for young guys, and there's no better place to learn, certainly in the county league in the summertime. That's why, you know, coaches will send players off to summer leagues to get opportunities to get at bats that they didn't get this past year because maybe they were a young guy, but so-and-so is going to graduate, so-and-so is going to get drafted at a bigger school, and it's time for you to come in here in the fall and really make a stretch. So you only had 15 or 20 at bats in the spring, but you went and had 120 and, and worked on the things we've tried to work on with you so you can come back in here now as a returner and, and, and be able to put what we've talked about into, into work. And I think, um, you know, the quality of the league was great. I think one of the things that I've loved about the Canyon League is that there's always been quality players because of guys that have from this area that have played. And, um, you know, so <laughs> I always chalk way back when I was at Eastern Mennonite, we had a couple of guys that, you know, made the commitment to stay up here in the summer get a job, you know, live in an apartment, whatever, sublease an apartment. And the first couple, first couple of times I talked to those guys, they kind of were like, ah, I thought this was going to be some beer league and just kind of rolling here. And, you know, they, they, they had been at leagues back home where they were from and they had no idea. And when I asked, and this is, on, this is a yearly thing with guys who aren't from here. And when I asked them, you know, as they came back and they, they all say, well, I had no idea. You know, I had no idea how good it was and how good the pitching was. And I'm used to playing a league back home. They had no idea. And I think that's just a credit to the talent in this area and, and what that league's represented over the years. So it's 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 a good opportunity. I, I know I know David played in the county league way, way back when too. Uh, I know you played in the county league. Who who were some of the better players you played against if, if you can remember in the county league? Oh well, when I played, I mean Tommy Bocock, um, Brian Bocock's dad was still, I mean, I want to say, and Tommy, don't get mad. I think he was in his forties, I believe, but he was still humming it in there pretty good. I can tell you that it came hard and firm. And I had in a bat off him, a couple of bats off him, um, you know, Clint Curry, Darren Curry, um, Eddie Clark at, Cl at Clover Hill. Um, you know, when you think about, uh, I, I was Daryl Irving. I played with the Grottos for five years, the Solomon brothers. I played with the Grottos. Neil Clatterbuck was a fixture in the league forever. Um, you know, Jeff Monroe played that league forever. Danny Davis, there was just some really good talent. And, and um, you know, I, I look at the county league when I played in it, and I think I, it was 93, I think, the summer of 93 I won that league, and I played seven years. And I think I got out just as coaching and recruiting and things kind of took over, but I did seven years in that league. And, you know, I learned pretty quick what country hardball was, and I learned pretty quick about, you know, you know, look, for me, it's how I grew up playing the game the right way. Not, you know, the days are different now across everything, but you know, you didn't look at a home run, you put your head down and ran, you got on off the field. You know, it, I learned a lot about that league and the toughness it took to play with those guys and the expectation. And I think some of that talent in that league was, um, you know, it's like anything, you either, you either adapt and figure it out or you're not around much longer. So it was an opportunity to, to, to really help me as a player. And, um, uh, you know, when I was playing in that league, I played, 
for Montezuma for one year for Gene Clatterbuck. And then I played for the Harrisburg Chicks. Oh, that was a, a, a team owned by Bob Weiss, but they were a county league team. But we didn't have a field that year because uh, we were on the road the whole year. And then I played five years with um, Grotto's Cardinals and um, was fortunate to uh, play with some really good players and play a lot of baseball. And, you know, it's funny. I go to Grotto's now where they play at now and you drive by the other field where it used to be. You have no idea there was a field that used to be there. Um, so when you see that, I always, I always point it out to my kids and say, well, there used to be a field there. And they're like, where? I said, right there. There was a field. It was about 270 down the lines and about 450 to center. I mean, you've never seen anything like it, but there was a field sat in there. And, um, you know, I really, it was a good opportunity for me at the time and one I really enjoyed and one I'm proud of that I played in. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it. There. And look, when I played in the league, we were fortunate at Grotto's to knock Bridgewater off. Bridgewater won the thing, uh, I mean, year after year after year. Um, we were fortunate at Grotto's with the, with the guy, run of guys. Um, you know, we had a pretty good team that, that, that year. And I think it was 96, we'd knock them off. And um, there were some guys that, you know, for me, that Bridgewater were fixtures, Timmy Shiflett, Larry French, um, Joe King, Pat Shiflett. I mean, just these guys uh, that, that played in that league forever. And, um, you know, we were able to beat them in game seven. And, and, and that was a big deal in the area and a big deal at the time because Bridgewater had been that dynasty for so long. So um, I've got fond memories of the league and I really appreciate what it did for me. And, you know, I hope one day as my son gets older that it's an opportunity to play in that league too. I think it's just something – and, and I always speak to this fact of why baseball is so good in this area. And when you look at some of the talent that's come out of here – I mean, a lot of these kids that were, you know, Brian Bocock is really good and got and, and, and is blessed to be a really good player, but he grew up around the game and he went and watched his dad play. And then all these guys, they, 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 they grew up around the county running around playing wall ball and watching their dad play a lot. And, and, and I think it just kind of becomes part of their DNA as they grow up. Um, and I think because of that, it's a, it's a unique environment and atmosphere in this area. David, is, is, that, is that kind of some of the same sense you got, too, when, when you were playing way, way back when? I know you're well removed, but is, is that some of the same sense well, you got? Well, it, it Ben, you make, you make me feel a little bit better. I'm, I don't feel quite as old because some of the players that you played with and against, uh, I overlap with them. You mentioned yep. Neil, Neil Clatterbuck. Um, that's a name I hadn't heard for a while. We played American Legion ball together. Really, yep. really good player. Um, of course, the Bococks have been in the league forever. But, you know, to your point, I mean – the highest level I ever got to play was in the County league. And I got to bat against former JMU pitchers that had been in the minor leagues. Um, we didn't have radar guns back then. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing, I'm guessing maybe they were throwing in the mid eighties, maybe not high eighties, but yeah, for a lot of us that, you know, I played division three. Um, that's the highest level pitcher we ever got to face. And there was something kind of neat about that challenge. I, I usually struck out, but um, if you can say you got a hit against a former minor league pitcher, I mean, you know, that's, that's, it was fun. And you're, you're right. I mean, I don't think a league like that um, could exist unless you had the local high school programs that you do. And I, I'm, I'm biased because of Turner Ashby, but um, Harrisonburg has had some good players over the years. We had some really good players from Broadway on American Legion, um, even going back to the Elkton days of Elkton high school. So yeah, I mean, and the fact that you have former minor league and even major league players coming back to play in the county league, yeah, it's it's not a beer league. You're, you're exactly right. Um, I think it is a very unique area, and it's, it's interesting that your EMU players realize that. They, they, they learn that pretty quick. I, look, I remember being a young guy here about the county league in 1993, and I was playing for Montezuma with Neil Clatterbuck and Gene Clatterbuck. 
just a young guy that was just happy to sit on the dugout and just I learned a lot of things about baseball and I probably learned a lot about language too that I, that I hadn't heard before but just being a young guy that's just there to watch and, and, and if opportunity came great I remember watching a guy that um that played at Eastman and I Daryl Lambert mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. he was playing for Grotto's and 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 I saw firsthand you know I knew Daryl because he played for my dad in high school and I watched him but he was a late bloomer physically but became an excellent player um, and I remember sitting in a can league one night, and I think he played softball all day somewhere, shows in a can league game at night, lays down a drag bunny's first bait, you know, runs it out at first, steals second, steals third, scores a run, next at bat hits a home run, comes up again, hits a double, lays another drag bunt down, and I'm seeing this all firsthand, and I just never realized the speed of the game and how good some of these players are, and that's kind of about that all moment for me, and then, you know, and then seeing some of those guys, because back then it was aluminum bat. So I remember seeing you know, mm-hmm. some of the shows that Clint Curry um, would put <laughs> yeah. on Clover Hill and just crank balls. And people came to watch 15 to 12 ball games back then. Uh, they came to watch them and mm-hmm. see them as far as you could. Um, and I think the pitching in the end couldn't keep up with that kind of swing. And so eventually it was the yeah. best thing they did was go to wood bats. I think it really yeah. left the field some. But, but it was, um, you know, just seeing some of those guys and it's really helped kind of form what I am as a player and what I expect to guys and how you should play the game and, um, who'd have thought it'd be in my backyard all these years. So it's, it's, uh, it's been exciting and, and something I'm glad our players, whether it's a Bridgewater when I was Eastern Mennonite and local kids can, can, can certainly do it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. You get your players back after, after their summer, their, their summer seasons away. Sure. You guys practice maybe some in the fall. I don't know how the COVID protocols work, but <laughs> uh, you, you got to, I guess, get adjusted to it then. And, and I know you're still dealing with it now. How, how is that process gone trying to figure out this is how it's going to work to this spring? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we learned a lot in the fall about practicing in pods and, you know, what you could do and couldn't do. And we learned how to run team meetings on Zoom and, you know, and, and how to space out. And, and it was, you know, for a coach who's done this a long time, it was a challenge. But, you know, the alternative was not practice at all. So you had to figure it out. So, you know, our guys had a good attitude about it. Um, you know, our school and our administration did a lot to make it possible. And I think that was important because they knew the value of athletics and after we lost last year. So we got good work in um, and we had to make changes. I think coming back this year now in the springtime, you realize, OK, what's it going to take to be able to play games? And I think as nobody played in the spring for or excuse me, in the fall here at Bridgewater that, you know, there was people that were the first to go off at Bridgewater that we all either learn from or realize that this is doable, you know, whether it's basketball programs or swimming program, you know, football got started in late January, you know, so, um, you know, I'm grateful that we made that push forward. And and I think that, you know, for us right now, we're learning, you know, we're starting, uh, you know, there are testing for our team with competition coming up here and we've done some random testing with our groups, but now we're going to start all being tested three times a week, you know, and I think as you talk to teams, and look at teams nationally or talk at the teams here, like you just got to roll with the punches when they come because they're going to come. Um, And, you know, uh, as I've told our guys, and and, and I think the team that will be successful this year will be one that can, you know, adapt and adjust and and just roll with it, take your medicine when you get it. And because that's, there's no other alternative. Um, So I think it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see as we get going here, but I know that everyone's had to deal with it at some point. And, um, you know, whether that's travel policy and how you're going to eat your meals and no overnights for us, I mean, things like that. But, you know, it's uh, it, I just know that once the game starts and we get to go, we'll be excited about that opportunity. I know the ODAC has has adjusted its, its schedule for this spring. 
double headers, it looks like on Saturdays and then one midweek game. Sure. Is there anything you guys have to adjust to strategy wise that's that's different about playing that type of schedule? Well, I mean, I think typically we're playing 40 games. We're only playing 24 this year. We got started later. Um, you know, I think from a team standpoint, most of the teams in our league are right around that 28 to 30 games. There's a few that have scheduled a few more that had the opportunity to do that. I don't know if they'll get them all in or not. Um, but I think we're, we're, we're in the norm. I think, you know, from a, from a strategy standpoint, what we're missing is 18 non-conference games on a spring trip, four-game weekends, you know, you know, we're, we're missing three-game weekend. We're missing that. And I think that's the thing that, you know, unfortunately I've had to explain to our guys that, you know, other than the CNU game next Wednesday, they kind of as a prep for the weekend. We got, we got to jump in ODAC play ready to go. And the mistakes that oftentimes you make the first opening couple weekends and the, and the things you learn about your club, either learn it about now in inner squads or we're just going to have to roll with it and, and hope that we're prepared and ready to go when we play Emory Henry because there are a few teams that have played some non-conference games that maybe the games have been ugly, but they're learning about themselves on the fly. And when they hit conference games, you know, we don't have that opportunity really other than two non-conference this year. So, you know, certainly, as I've said before, no excuses. And, you know, I've told our guys that you have to be able to adapt and adjust and do what you need to do. I think that the biggest challenge is, um, you know, not as many opportunities to get guys out there, particularly for your pitching staff. I mean, when you're playing 24 games and 22 of them count whether you can go to the postseason tournament or not and where your seating is, you know, there's limited opportunities. And that's just the reality of it. Um, and that's just what you have to go with. And I've certainly explained to our guys that, you know, those opportunities will be limited, but you got to take it most of them. And that's why I practice. That's why inner squads. That's why, you know, anything we do during the season, because we're not having a Tuesday non-conference, Wednesday conference, doubleheader on Saturday, a four-game week. We don't have that opportunity this year. And I think that's just the reality of it. Um, so uh, there's a few changes in strategy, but, you know, as I told him, when March 13th rolls in, Henry Henry rolls in here, the, the, at the end of the day, you're judged at the end of the day whether you had two wins or not. So, Right, yeah, no, nobody, will, nobody will care whether you didn't have other, those other. I told nobody cares but us, so in the end, it's going to be what's, what's the end result. So whether we had right. six errors or none, we, to, we control that. So we got to figure it out. Right, right, exactly. What, what are the strengths of your team as you look at up and down the roster? I know there are some familiar names with, with sure. Jared Feisker and uh, mm-hmm. Nevado with Harrisonburg. You mentioned him a little bit ago. What, what are strengths of your team? Well, I mean, we've got a mixture of um, – it's, it's, it's a mixture of some veteran guys have been around. Jared B. Secker's been around. He's had a, done a great job as a leadoff hitter for this program. He had over 400 two years in a row. Um, you know, Kevin Nevado is a veteran player. Jacob Grable is a veteran player. So those are, those are three veteran guys that will be in our lineup every day that, that I think understand Bridgewater baseball um, and what's waiting for us ahead. We've got a, we've got a nice mixture of some young guys um, that are sophomores um, that, you know, played behind some guys last year that, um, you know, as a senior, eight seniors last year, they got to kind of be around a little bit and understand kind of how we need to do things, and, but they had limited opportunities. So there's opportunities for those guys this year to, to step in the mix so we have some sophomores I'm excited about that I thought contributed a little bit. Jeff Snyder was a freshman last year that kind of earned a job as we in those 15 games and really played well. Um, and I think that that uh, you know he's a guy that will impact us. And then um, you know I look at someone like um, you know Timmy Hobson. Look, the kid's a junior. He sat behind Jake Talley for two years. Didn't get a lot of opportunity. Jake Talley's an all-conference player, but he learned how to play shortstop from Jake Talley. And he's a smart kid who I think defensively is really good. So. You know, I would tell you that I'm hopeful that we can be consistent defensively, as every coach would say, but I think we have the right pieces there. Um, I think that, you know, offensively, we're going to have to figure some things out. We lost a lot of offense that I thought really 
was a table setter for us. So we're going to have to uh, see who can step up in what roles and try to find an identity, an identity offensive of who we are. You know, I mean, I don't think we're a team that's going to crush the ball over the fence and be you sit and swing. You know, I don't think that's who we are. I think we have to kind of be a hybrid and adjust from situation and pitchers and handle the bat when we need to. Um, I think that's important to our offensive identity and, and to score runs. I think on the mound, I've been really optimistic and excited about what we've seen. I think we've had some guys that that have made big strides forward um, from where they were at last year, whether it's in velocity, whether it's in pitch development. You know, so I do feel like we have some guys. Um, Hunter Moore comes back as a junior. Um, Waring Garber, uh, Hunter Clever are three guys that I really think can help for help help pitch for us. Um, and be guys that have some experience. And we've got some guys that really surfaced out of the bullpen. Tucker Horaski's a junior in our program, um, you know, that I feel like has made some big strides. And then I think there's some young guys that were freshmen last year that had either had limited opportunities that, that didn't come along that I think, um, you know, have made strides on the mound. So I'm hopeful that our pitching staff can be, um, you know, a backbone of what we have because I think we have some quality guys. What we do lack there, though, is some experience. And I think – so tell her, guys, there's no uh, – there's no greater teacher than experience, and we're going to have to, you know, learn on the fly. So that this would have been nice for our staff, while there's some quality there, to have 18 non-conference games to kind of figure out roles and who can do what. Um, but I do think there's some quality there, and I'm excited about the opportunity to work with those guys this year. And certainly, you know, there's a lot of guys coming back next year that I think we can build upon. I had two, maybe two bigger picture things, Ben. You can take one or both if you want. Um, you know, this the ODAC conference for you know, is a really good conference. I mean, you've got two programs in Shenandoah and Randolph-Macon that, that you know, are regional powers, right, and even nationally ranked at times. Um, maybe talk, you know, Salisbury is not your conference, but they're in Maryland. They've been a good sure. program. And then the other question I had is Division Three recruiting. You've been in D3 a long time. We, we know that these athletes are not getting full athletic scholarships, but I think over the years, things have changed. I mean, my daughter played Division Three volleyball. Facilities are better at almost every level now, right? How has that <laughs> changed in terms of recruiting in Division Three? Well, I think the, I'll answer both those. The two things for me, one, are how good our league is. And I think that's a testament um, to, you know, the commitment that our league across from schools and facil- for, from schools in general for staffing, you know, there were years ago when I got into this, look, I plan on teaching classes and being a baseball coach is what I planned on doing. And now it's evolved now that almost everyone's a full-time baseball coach and every school has a full-time assistant for the most part. Um, you know, so that was unheard of at this level when I started in 1998. Um, so now you've got a league that's got a commitment as far as full-time coaches, full-time assistants and improvement in facilities. Um, you know, schools that realize now that, um, you know, enrollment's a driver, so we have to give our athletes good experiences. And so I think there's something to sell. And, and because of that, we have coaches in our league that have coached at all different levels, from Division One to junior college that, that have been at this level. I mean, they do a good job. So there's people out working and recruiting every weekend. And I think that's made the league better. Um, you know, and as far as the other thing, too, when it comes back to it, you know, the facility piece, like I always say that Camden Yards was the one that kicked all this off. I mean, I just feel like I grew up, you know, with with the cookie cutter stadiums of Three Rivers and the Vet and uh, Riverfront. Like, that's what I grew up in. And to me, I thought those things were awesome. I mean, I had you do this is awesome, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you go from that mentality to Camden Yards making that step to that retrofit. And I said, it's taken some time but it's trickled down over the years now to where there's division three facilities um, across the country and in our league that are, that are quality facilities that are easy to recruit to. 
um, or at least show kids a commitment to baseball and your experience. Um, you know, so our league is really good. And I think that we're at a point now where we hope to, as a league to have, you know, if not two, then three bids a year. And I think there's teams in our league. And that certainly this is an expectation we have that, you know, that, that, that strive to, to get to postseason play every year and, and to put themselves in position to win a national championship because, um, you know, it's an expectation, I think, by people in our league and one that we have. And I've, I've always said, told our players and our recruits that when you've, you know, won 14 conference titles, been to 10 regionals, you know, that's one of the steps to get to that point and, and an expectation you want to have. And, um, uh, and people in our league are competing at that level. So, you know, it's, an, it's, it's a good thing for a driving force for your players that are here and what we're trying to accomplish, but also for recruits when you're chasing after guys um, that you want to sell them on the competitiveness and the experience and opportunities with facilities um, and what that'll mean for them. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's kind of the thing. And I think that, that kids are looking for and that you want to be able to offer those kids. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting time with recruiting this past year and then getting a late start to it. But I still feel like, um, you know, we've been able to secure a class for next year. And, I, and hopefully we've been able to survive with COVID and recruiting for us. Now, I know that the bigger schools have had dead periods they couldn't manage with, but we, we've been able to do something. Something I'm curious about, and, I, and I've always wondered, you've obviously been, been successful in, in Division Three at EMU and, and now starting to build the Bridgewater program up again. Has Division Three kind of been a great spot for you? Have you had D1 aspirations? Have you had pro aspirations? Or, or is D1 the, the, the right fit, the right fit for you? Or D3? Uh, you know, it, it's been the right fit for me. I will tell you this, being a local guy from Fort Defiance High School that wanted to play, you know, for me, the days of college baseball were the only time you would watch it was on the College World Series with with uh, Rosenblatt. And for me, it was Oklahoma State and uh, Gary Ward. And that was who I wanted to play for. And I realized at some point I wasn't good enough to do that. And I also realized, you know, that was back when LSU and those teams, I just, I just grew up around the game so much. And, you know, for me personally, uh, you know, I always chuckle about this. And actually I talked to him today. He's a very good friend of mine, Ray Heatwell, you know, who was at Jamie for years, a legend at Turner Ashby High School. And to me is the best baseball coach I've ever been around. Um, and understands the knowledge of the game. You know, I went to his camp and I was a high school senior at Fort Defiance High School and said, you know, hey, I'd like to play for you and take a look at me. There's no travel ball back then and stuff. And he said, well, all right, I'll look at you for a half day camp for four days. And on that last day, he said, sorry, son, you can't play for me. I was like, well, <laughs> I'm disappointed in that. But for me, Kirk Kendall was there working the camp and said, hey, you can play for me. And I had no idea what Division Three athletics was about and really what it entailed. And it was in my backyard. And for me, that really became a love affair for kids who can't play at Division One baseball, but still I think are good players and are late bloomers and want to compete and still have the passion and drive to play at a high level. Um, it really opened my eyes to what was out there. And I think because of that, um, and things worked out for me to be able to, to do this at a full-time position when I was younger. I worked in you know, different capacities on campus, but allowed me to do that. I had a love affair with Division Three and the connection that I felt was the right fit for me and the experience I could provide for guys. Um, you know, I had a couple opportunities to move along to some volunteer positions at Division I universities, or, and it just didn't – the timing just didn't make sense for what I was doing. Um, I would have loved the opportunities, and sometimes you never know where, you, where would you be at this point if you made that jump. Um, but for me, it was a situation where I just liked the experience I had, the opportunities that, that for me working for Kurt was giving me to be able to recruit and to work with our players. And because of that um, – yeah, I felt it was the right fit for me. And, and, I, and I, so I've always enjoyed being at this level. And I think I'm excited as anyone when I look at the, the, the competitiveness of our league 
and the recruiting at a high level that I think there's so many kids out there that, um, that thrive in these environments that just are a little bit short for division one, maybe just don't throw hard enough, but they're good players. Maybe they just don't quite run fast enough or they're late bloomers. You know, there's a lot of guys in our program that I've had over the years that could play division one baseball. They just couldn't out of high school, but when they were sophomores or juniors, they put on 25 pounds, they picked up speed, they throw harder, you know, and I think that's the beauty of the game. Ben, we'll, we'll finish with this. You guys open Wednesday against Christopher Newport. Just how excited are you for your team to get back out there and get, get back to playing? Well, I mean, I'm excited for him because if you'd have told me a year ago when we got shut down, I thought we'd be back in two weeks. <laughs> and, the, and the bad thing is I haven't seen those seniors that we got off the bus after Washington Lee said we're going to shut you down for two weeks. Uh, we had a brief meeting the next morning, gave them a plan before they went home, and I haven't seen some of those guys since that day. And it's been almost a year. And, and that's sad and it's unfortunate. And they handled that the right way, like everyone had to. Um, so I'm excited in communication with some of those guys that they're excited to see our program get back on the field. Um, I'm excited for our guys to have somebody else rolling here and play. And, um, you know, it's something that that's why these guys came here. I mean, they certainly came to get an education, but they came here to compete and play and be around each other. And I think that's something that, that you take for granted at some points, but I think right now you just in, in, enjoy the time together and the competition and, and, and look forward to the challenge of it. Really good to hear from Ben, David. He, he said some fascinating things during that conversation, his time in the county league, uh, going over that, his time, really just growing up around baseball in this area. Yeah, it was really fun to spend some extended time with him. I know you've talked to him in the past, and I've had a few conversations, but yeah, just nice to know his history um, at Fort Defiance, and then his he played for several teams in the county league, um, so he, he's just a, a perfect person to have. I'm really glad we could have him on. Yeah, no, no doubt. One thing I thought was really neat that he said is that the Camden Yards effect is trickling all the way down to the D3 colleges. Didn't, didn't you find that just absolutely fascinating? That, that was really interesting. And, and um, you know, again, having a, a daughter that just recently played Division III, we, we obviously know that when you go to the Division III level, um, you're not going to be a pro athlete, right? I mean, it happens very rarely. Unless you're Eric Kratz, right? Right. He's the <laughs> exception to the rule. Um, but, and, and I went through this as a parent, you know, and, and Ben talked about this, this, this experience. You only have four years. Um, to some of us, it takes a little bit longer. But you only have four years in college, right? And, yeah, you're a Division three athlete. You're not on full athletic scholarship, but that experience is important. That's probably the last time you will play at a competitive level. So the facilities are so much better at the Division three level when I played and, and probably even when Ben played. So, um, you know, the facilities need to be nice because let's face it, Division three you're recruiting, there is competition. Um, among, you know, ODAC schools and, and even out of the, the area. Yeah, you, you think about it just, just locally. I'm sure Bridgewater and EMU are competing for a lot of the same players and, and probably magnified when you, you think about the kids at TA or Broadway or, or Harrisonburg in, in the baseball or, or really whatever sport. So really fascinating stuff that, that Camden Yards, the trickle effect. How about that? I, I, I didn't think that's where that conversation was going to go, but how about that? It really, really neat. Cause they, you know, I've been to plenty of big league ballparks, but you don't think about it stretching all the way down 
uh, to, to not only college baseball, but division three college baseball. So yeah. interesting stuff. Good stuff from Ben. Glad we had him on. And, and like, like we mentioned to you on the podcast previously, we're going to try to get some different guests on, try to get a different feel. So you're not just hearing me and David blabber. Uh, so, 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 uh, so we get you some insight on what's going on uh, around with baseball locally. I wanted to touch on JMU a little more after the Dukes' uh, 0-3 start. It's kind of interesting. They, they started last year uh, in similar fashion, played a tough series at NC State. NC State was nationally ranked last year to open up the season. Uh, it didn't go well record-wise, but the coach, Marlon Eikenberry, uh, said he had noticed some really good things from his team in that series in, in, in 2020 excuse me, uh, against the Wolfpack. He said kind of the same deal this year uh, with UNC, some valuable experience gained by the Dukes. And, and that, to me, was, was kind of interesting. Because if you remember last year, after they lost the three straight to open the year at NC State, they went on a run and, and, and finished – they finished 10 and six. So they won 10 of 13 before the season, uh, 10 of, yeah, 10 of 13 before the season was, was stopped. So if they can maybe pick up some of that momentum and, and learn from their, their first games out uh, in the, in the post COVID, well, not really post COVID, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, if they can start their season strong uh, like they did last year and build off of a weekend series against an ACC opponent, I, I think that would be really positive, David. Well, yeah, I, you're exactly right. And, you know, um, I, I didn't get to watch as much of the series in North Carolina as I wanted to. Um, you probably follow it more than I did. But as an aside, just the publicity that JMU got that weekend, um, I think even the announcers in the Friday game mentioned the Rockingham County League, um, you know, in, in their report. So it was, an, it was a, a win-win for JMU. I mean, you get to play against a really good program. They were on the ACC network. Um, good for recruiting, right? So, yeah, I mean, and sure, you're, you're open. You have some young pitchers that are getting their feet wet and going up against a, a power five school. But, you know, I, I think, you know, as your article talked about, those kids are really excited about that opportunity. And that's certainly a, a great way to open up the season. Yeah, no, no doubt. Earlier this week, Marlon Eikenberry, he did a Zoom video press conference with with me and I guess Kurt Dudley, the, the voice of, of JMU Athletics. And I was able to ask him a few questions. So I wanted to play that for you, give you a feel for where he is at after, after that, that first series at North Carolina. So here's a little bit of Marlon Eikenberry talking about his team, the pitching staff specifically, and, and what's ahead with Bowling Green. I know the NC State series last year, you started on three, but there were some things you liked from your team and you were able to learn from. Did you see similarities at all with the UNC series this year? I did. I did. You know, I was, I was really impressed with um, just how we maintain our composure. I mean, in the, in the, I mean, if you look at game two, it was a five, four game going into the, going into the um, bottom of the eighth. And then, you know, we went down a couple runs, make it, I believe it was um, seven, five. And, and then, and then we brought, I assume eight, five. And then we brought the time run to the plate in the, um, in the ninth. So I mean that that's just shows our competitiveness and, and and the will of our guys. And then Sunday's game was a was a really good baseball game, just a really good college baseball game, well played. Um, we had opportunities that we didn't we didn't capitalize on, and, and that's part of baseball early in the year. You know, as they say, the pitchers and catchers report early for a reason, and uh, and they're always a step ahead that first weekend um, on, on the hitters. But as we get more and more bats under our belt and. You know, the one unique thing about preparing for that week for that weekend was 
we really didn't get the confirmation until Tuesday that this was going to happen. We we're going to go to UNC. So we had about three days to prepare. And then we had a snowstorm on Thursday where, you know, we didn't know what time we were going to get out on Friday. So Friday morning, we were leaving here in uni going, okay, well, we haven't seen live pitching you know, since Sunday. And, 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 and we ramped up the machines and all that kind of stuff. So it was a different preparation week, but you know, I, like I said, it was more about the kids and more about the guys getting on the field and seeing what they're capable of doing, and I was really impressed with the way we competed as a whole. I'm sure you've been actually able to get outside and practice more, too, before this series against Bowling Green than, than the one before North Carolina. Oh, absolutely. We've been outside a bunch. And so, I mean, that's that's the beauty of having turf and, the, and, and you know, our facilities. People have done a great job of, of, of clearing it. And I, I said something to the team on Friday night after, after you know, they were disappointed. Obviously, when you lose, everybody's disappointed. And I said, hey, guys, look at it this way. We could be shoveling snow in Harrisonburg right now, but we're not. So we're we got two more games this weekend. Let's get back to the hotel and you know do what we need to do to compete for the next uh, two days. I wanted to ask you about the freshman pitcher Vagotsky. What what have you seen from him preseason and, and early on in, in his you know in the start of his career that that's enabled him to crack the rotation? Well, he's the bulldog. I mean, if you if you really want to, he just gets out there and competes. Um, he has a, he has a good fastball. You know, can throw three pitches in the zone for strikes and. And that's what you want on a Sunday. You know, you want that guy to, you know, fill up the zone and throw three pitches in the zone for strikes and, and compete. And he, he's done it since the day he stepped on campus. Even in the fall, I was really impressed with him in the fall. And, and we knew going in that, hey, he, he, could, he, could, he could get into the, into the rotation pretty quickly. Do you say anything at all that to Ensminger? I know you said he was amped up a little bit. Do you say anything at all just to make sure he's good to go for, for this weekend? And- yeah, you know, you know, it was, it was an interesting conversation because, you know, he was his first live inning. And, um, you know, I just told him, said, hey, keep your head up. You know, we're, we're going to run you back out there in different situations. And, and he's fine. He's a tough kid. And he's another one that, you know, he loves to compete. And I can't wait to see him, you know, as, as he gets he gets innings under his belt as we, as we get into the season. Just lastly, what, what, you, what are you expecting with Bowling Green this weekend? What do you know about them as they get set to come to town? Well, they played uh, three games against Middle Tennessee State this past week and opened up their season. And, you know, it looks like they're, they're a pretty, pretty talented club. It looks like they're, they're a fairly older club. Um, you know, they pitched and, and, and played defense against, against Middle Tennessee. Um, you know, and the biggest thing is just is, is they're going to compete and they're, they're, a good, they're a good club. So Bowling Green out of the MAC, they visit JMU this weekend as the Dukes will, will try to improve on that record and, and get their first win of this season, of this 2021 campaign. That's not the only baseball going on, David. The last thing I wanted to get to today was spring training because the Nats, the O's, Major League Baseball spring training is in full swing. I know you're paying attention to the Nats. The Nats and Mets are on today, uh, 1 p.m., so that's exciting. I've been watching a little bit of the Mets of, of what games have been available on MLB TV. Uh, but but what are you noticing early on in in that in that spring training that that you're paying attention to? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that game as well today. Um, before we get to the Nats, I, I think the, one of the best spring training storylines is the Orioles and Trey Mancini. You know, just a great story. As people may know, um, Trey had colon um, cancer yeah. surgery over. Yeah, so it's been almost a year I think since he's actually played in a game. Uh, he got a standing ovation in, uh, I think, either Brand- Bradenton or Sarasota in his first game. Orioles and Pirates opened up last weekend. So, great story. He got a hit. Um, he's really been thankful on social media to the fans of, of home and away. So, great story for the Orioles. And, and not only that, he's a really good hitter. Um, and uh, they certainly need him. So, that's been fun. 
Um, I guess the big, the major news with the Nats just broke in the last 24 hours with, with pitcher John Lester um, going to New York for thyroid surgery. Uh, he's expected to be, you know, their fourth or fifth starter, obviously veteran lefty who'd been with the Cubs for a long time. He was actually supposed to pitch today, Thursday. So that's up in the air, right? Um, he's going to miss a turn. And, and as we talked about with Ben, there's limited opportunities, you know, for pitchers. Um, AAA is now going to be delayed till early May. So it's really going to be a challenge for even at the major league level about finding innings for pitchers. So the Nats do have some other uh, pitchers in the, in the wing they can use as starters, Joe Ross, Eric Fetty, Austin, both in case Lester is, is delayed. So that's probably the big news. Are you worried about that Nats pitching staff at all health-wise? I know Scherzer's getting a little older. Strasburg has had the injury history. Uh, Corbin was good for them during their World Series run. What's your level of concern there? Uh, the answer would be yes. I would be concerned <laughs> if I was a, a Nats fan. Um, you, know, I, you know, I don't think there's any guarantee you're going to get 30 or 35 starts from Scherzer or Strasburg. Um, Corbin – has not had any, not very many major health problems as far as I'm aware of, but yeah, I mean, you have, that's an old, older starting pitching staff. It's, it's a very good one. It's where they base their strengths on. Um, but yeah, I think there's, um, I think there's a lot of, a uh, lot of holes, so to speak. Um, the, the Nats could go either way. They could be really good. They've made some really good additions to their lineup, but it is an older team. So, yeah, I, I would have some concern if I was a Nats fan. You, you mentioned the Orioles, and just talking about the Nats pitching got me thinking about the O's because they brought in some veterans since we last talked. That talk, they, they added Matt Harvey, the former Mets ace. They right. added Felix Hernandez, former Cy Young Award winner. Uh, I think I think Felix Hernandez thrown a no-hitter in his career, maybe two. I'm not, I, I think you're I, right. I think I, you're I, right. I yeah. mm -hmm. What is the reasoning behind that, if, if you at all – have any insight there because the O's are a rebuilding team. You would think, what's the point of taking a flyer on, on those two guys? Yeah, that's a good question. I, my guess would be that for one, they could eat, eat innings. Um, you know, if you have a young pitcher that hasn't say thrown more than 120 innings at any level, you don't want them to throw 200 all of a sudden. Um, that could be one reason. Um, you know, I think, the Orioles are certainly rebuilding and they're going with youth, but to have people like Hernandez around Matt Harvey around these younger pitchers um, can be a good influence. That would be to me, one, one guess be one reason you bring them in, but also to, to bring them in to actually pitch in major league games. Again, you know, how much are you going to get out of them? Maybe not so much, but you don't want to burn out your young pitchers who are working their way up. I thought those were very interesting moves by the Orioles uh, as they head into this 2021 season as they're getting ready and down in Sarasota. Uh, one other thing, Major League Baseball-wise, I, I just did want to mention before we wrap up here, what did you think of that Fernando Tatis deal? Holy cow, he got, he got a lot of money there, 14 <laughs> years, and, and the Padres have him for, for, for now uh, through at least the prime of his career. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the Padres are really making some, some really interesting moves. Um, I actually know one of their assistant GMs. I, I have, don't talk to him a lot. Um, I should probably give him a call and, and ask him <laughs> what he had to, to do with the signing, but yeah, what an exciting player. Um, 
you know, it was really fun to see him on the big stage. You know, a lot of us here on the East Coast, we don't see these guys on a regular basis unless we're staying up till three in the morning. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, once he's obviously very good, but he he's also has an infectious personality. Um, you know, it's always great to promote young players in the game like Juan Soto. And so, yeah, that's the question for Nationals fans. How much money is Juan Soto going to get now? So, yeah, really interesting signing by the Padres. With, with, with Soto, do you think the Nats would be open to that kind of thing? Um, I don't see the Nationals signing anyone to a 10 or 12 year contract. Um, I just don't think there's any. I mean, Strasburg was re-signed for, for a long time. The Scherzer contract, I think, was for seven years. I don't see the Nationals investing 12 to 14 years to a player, to be honest. I, I just don't think the ownership will do that. I may be wrong, but that would be my first guess. Fair enough. And I guess uh, the local angle to spring training, if you're trying to keep up with anybody local or ties to this area, keep an eye on the Dodgers. Nick Robertson, the former mm -hmm. JMU reliever, is in camp with them. And I'm, I'm sure he's going to get in some spring training games. Yeah, he actually, uh, did, I think he did pitch an inning uh, Tuesday night late against the Giants. I think uh, if I saw him on Twitter, he had two strikeouts and, and a clean inning. For them. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. So really cool to have. And I think he's a non-roster guy, too. So um, who hasn't pitched above single A. So yeah, yeah the short yeah, season yeah, single A. Yeah. Yeah. So a great opportunity for him. Um, I guess we should also, before we wrap up, mention Lorenzo Bundy, mm -hmm. um, former JMU, County League and Valley League MVP in both leagues. He will be the manager for double A Binghamton in the Mets system this year. So uh, good news for him. Uh, he was supposed to be there in 2020. Of course, the season was canceled. But um, for you fans out there, Binghamton will be in Richmond in late June, early July. If you want to make the drive to Richmond to see Binghamton and Lorenzo Bundy. So there you go. That's a pretty good full update of what's going on on the baseball scene as we stand on March 4th. I think we'll do a podcast again uh, at some point later this month, preview the big league season, maybe have another guest of local interest uh, to talk baseball with us. But, David, good stuff today. Always nice to talk baseball with you. Thanks a lot, Greg. I appreciate it. Good to see you. That'll do it for this week's or this, this edition of the Baseball in the Valley podcast. For David Driver, I am Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.